0: We are continuing our study tonight, this self-titled study. Activate. We are learning to put our faith into action. And for several weeks, we've been looking at the fact that faith works. When true and genuine faith is present in your life, it manifests itself in works. Faith is never invisible. You can always see someone's faith through how they conduct your lives. And we've seen so many truths that revolve around that fact that faith works, that appreciation without application is self-deception, that genuine faith, saving faith, is always accompanied by supporting works. Well, last week we began to answer a question, what happens, what do I do, how do I respond if my faith doesn't work? To start that illustration, we uh or start to 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 start showing that point. We used an illustration. I told you guys a story last week about how we were remodeling our bathroom and and I and I had to start to work with some wires and uh, we're gonna we're gonna take this, we're gonna do a little electrical illustration here that's going to launch and last for like several weeks, okay? We're we're jumping into my bathroom at my house and we're getting deep into the wires of that bathroom. And uh, it's going to be an illustration for us for how faith works in our lives, all right? Well, we're going to title this tonight is Uncrossing the Wires of Sanctification. And that title probably makes no sense, but it will uncrossing the wires of sanctification. So I started this story for you guys last week. I'm remodeling our bathroom, and we were installing a new light fixture in our bathroom. And we're kind of redoing everything, so we're putting in a new switch, and uh, there's wires that are in the wall. And uh, after we had put hours and hours and hours into, into getting all of this ready, we get to the big reveal where, where it's time to flip on the lights and, and see the, the beautiful new bathroom. And, and we, I, I hit the switch, and... Nothing happens. The, the light that I put so much time and effort into did nothing. No light, no noise. Not that the lights are supposed to make noise, but they didn't do anything. Like no sign of life whatsoever. So me being uh, a, an illegitimate electrician had no idea what to do. So I started to do some research. And as I started to look up how electrical wiring works in a house, what I, what I began to find is that there's a few places where I was specifically supposed to look to try to identify the problem for why that light was not turning on. Okay, now I'm gonna throw a couple pictures up on the screen because I think, this may be crazy to you guys, but it helps me, okay? So in, in the house you have a few things, in the bathroom there's a few things that are working for the electrical, that's a what? Switch. Yeah, so you guys are all electricians. That's a switch, okay? Now, first place I could look if I had an issue, the light wasn't turning on, is I could check that switch. Maybe the switch wasn't working. Maybe there's a problem with the switch. And so there's, it's not like there's a problem with the light bulb. Like There's not even any power going through the switch, so there's a problem. Right? There's, they don't even have access to power. The, the switch itself is kind of what we talked about last week. When we started to talk about what do I do if my faith doesn't work, the first thing we said is maybe, maybe your soul is lost. If your faith isn't working, there's a chance that like, you don't even have access to the power that causes faith to work. That, that, that the switch is broken. That, that your soul is lost. Well, we began to look at the switch, and the switch in our bathroom was just fine. And so The next place to look... Uh, to do some troubleshooting, is a place called the Junction Box. Okay? You guys all know what a Junction Box is, right? Yeah. No, you don't. That is a Junction Box. That is a junction box, okay? Now that is sitting up in the ceiling of my bathroom and it looks like that, but about 30 more wires in it. Like this thing, is it's a little rat's nest of wires up there. And uh, I did my best to connect all the wires the way that they were supposed to be connected, but the, the person who wired my house, typically wires work a few ways. You got black wires, you got white wires, and you got red or green wires. And, and you connect the black to the black, and the white to the white, and the red to the red. Well, whoever put wires in my house, they don't have colors on them. So, so the, the light fixture has black, white, and red, but the junction box doesn't. So I'm just like guessing up there, right? Like I'm just plugging wires anywhere I can find a spot to put them. Well, what I found as I started to do some, some troubleshooting is that my problem in, in the lighting of my bathroom was that my wires weren't actually connected to the right place. The problem existed in the junction box. My, my wires had been crossed. It's an expression we use a lot, actually, that you've, that you've crossed your, you've got your wires crossed. That, that somewhere there's a, there's a gap in communication or there's a misunderstanding or there's a problem that's, that's caused confusion or, or a misconception about something. Your wires have gotten crossed. Well, in my, my very literal scenario in, in reconstructing this bathroom, my wires have gotten crossed. And the reason that my light wasn't turning on was because my wires were plugged into the wrong place. Once my wires were reconnected and and they were placed in the the right spot, the light worked. The light worked. The light turned on. However, if it hadn't, there was a third place I could have looked. There's a chance that it's a bad light bulb, right? There's a chance that my wires were fine and my switch was fine. It was just a bad light bulb that I put up there. And so, just get a new light bulb. Well, that's going to be next week. Going to get to the light bulb. Tonight, we're in the junction box. We're uncrossing the wires of sanctification. What do I mean by uncrossing the wires of sanctification? What I want to do tonight is clear up misunderstandings about sanctification that may hinder our ability to be sanctified. See, so often something doesn't work, because we don't understand how it's supposed to work. The reason that my light wasn't turning on, it wasn't because I was like, I'm gonna plug it in wrong, it's because I didn't know any better. And because I didn't understand, because I misunderstood the information, I misapplied the information. I did things that were wrong because I didn't understand how the wiring is supposed to work. My wires were crossed, and they were crossed because I was ignorant. I, on, on some level, every one of us in this room has, has areas of sanctification in which we are ignorant. Tonight, I want to spend some time clearing up some misunderstandings about sanctification, some, some crossed wires that are lead, that's leading to our faith not being active. This conversation tonight is going to be a little bit uh, theological. Uh, we're going to be jumping around all over scripture. We're not going to really walk through a passage tonight. We're going to be talking about a theology of sanctification. Um, and you may ask the question, I thought we were talking about activating our faith and how I can activate my faith better. Why do we need to talk about theology to accomplish that? And, and here's why. Misunderstanding how we're sanctified causes us to misapply the tools for our sanctification misunderstanding how we are sanctified causes us to misapply the tools for our sanctification if we don't understand how sanctification works it causes us to misapply the tools that we're supposed to use for our sanctification if we don't understand it we will misapply it and so to learn better how to activate our faith we need to understand how faith is supposed to be activated And so tonight we dive into the theology of that. To figure that out, to understand how we are sanctified, we need to ask that question. That's the question that I want to ask tonight. How are we sanctified? How are we sanctified? We are sanctified by the Spirit of God, through the grace of God, as we obey God. We are sanctified by the Spirit of God through the grace of God as we obey God. I'll give you guys a fair warning. We have like 20 plus slides to work through tonight, all right? So there's a lot of note-taking to be had, and that's because we're, we're jumping through something that I would, I'd love to spend like a month on. Um, but take aggressive notes tonight, all right? This is a really important statement. How are we sanctified? The Spirit of God sanctifies us. He does that through God's grace, and he does that as we obey God. So, there are three elements, three staples, three fundamental points of sanctification, and they all come down to that statement that we just gave. Three statements of sanctification. First of all, God's Spirit is a staple in our sanctification. God's Spirit sanctifies us. We are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We must understand this. Students, you cannot sanctify yourself. You are not the agent by which you are sanctified. If you are not sanctified, the response is, I got to sanctify myself better. You don't sanctify you. The Holy Spirit who lives in every believer sanctifies you. Romans chapter 15 verse 16 says that, that we are sanctified by the Spirit of God. We are, our faith is activated by the Spirit of God. We live out our faith because the Spirit of God enables us to do that. But a second staple in our sanctification is not just God's Spirit, also God's grace. God's grace is an essential staple of sanctification. I want to be clear about this. We are only sanctified by the grace of God. Apart from God's grace, none of us can be sanctified. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 and 12 say the grace of God has appeared. God's grace has appeared and the grace of God teaches us how we should live. The grace of God instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. It is by God's grace that we're even informed in how we can be sanctified. The grace of God alone enables us to be sanctified. We rely on it completely. Apart from His grace, no one can be sanctified. So, those are the first two. God's Spirit and God's grace are essential in our sanctification. This third one uh, may surprise us a little bit, but we we need to jump into this and understand this. A third staple of sanctification is our obedience. Our obedience is a third staple of sanctification. While it is true, That you cannot sanctify yourself. Only the Holy Spirit can sanctify you. You have an essential role in your sanctification. Like when we say the Spirit of God sanctifies you, that doesn't mean that you have no part, that you just sit back and relax and let him sanctify you. Scripture says in James chapter 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Not sit back and relax and God will draw near to you, but draw yourself near to him and he will draw near to you. You are an essential part of the sanctification process. We are sanctified by the spirit of God, through the grace of God, As we obey God. So then we take those three essential statements and we ask the question, how am I sanctified? When we understand that the spirit is the one that sanctifies us, then we have to ask the question, so what then do I do? What is my role in sanctification? Here it is. We never want to separate these three. Our role in sanctification is grace motivated obedience. Our role in sanctification is grace motivated obedience. So we never want to separate those three staples of sanctification that we just talked about. The spirit of God sanctifies us. Okay, so we know that. So knowing that he sanctifies us, that it's by his grace and that it's as we obey, what then is our responsibility? It's ultimately to obey, but never separated from the grace of God. So the grace of God, like, infuses our obedience. Like, our obedience is all wrapped up in the grace of God. And we're aware of God's grace in in motivating our obedience and in causing our obedience. It's it's grace-motivated obedience. We obey But we obey with the awareness that we can only obey by his grace. And so we ask him to help us obey by his grace. We obey with a continual awareness and motivation that is rooted in God's grace. So we're going to jump from that into a second outline. Jump forward for me, Jack, to our second outline. What what I want us to see then, knowing that that is our call in sanctification, is two errant responses to grace motivation. (laughs) obedience. Our job in sanctification is to obey motivated by the grace of God. However, there are many who have attempted after grace-motivated obedience, but have erred in one of two extreme directions. We're going to use two theological terms here that you may or may not be familiar with. The first term, the first errant response to grace-motivated obedience is legalism. Legalism. Legalism is attempting to earn God's grace by our works. Legalism is attempting to earn God's grace by our works. Now, I want us to see how that is an errant response to grace-motivated obedience. We are called to obey God, but we are called to do so with an awareness that we can only do so by His grace. We can never obey apart from his grace. Never be sanctified apart from his grace. Legalism sees the grace of God being different. Legalism legalism sees us as earning God's grace by our works. That we can work our way into God's grace. Now that may sound distant, but legalism is in the heart of every man. We are born legalists. I have legalism that is being exposed in my heart all the time. Where I know, I know that it's by God's grace that I obey. But it just seems like if I work a little harder, that then I'll like be in this position of receiving that grace that enables me to obey. Where I rely on my flesh rather than the strength of God to sanctify me. It's the act of a legalist. It's missing what we are called to do in regards to the grace of God. But there's a second errant response to grace-motivated obedience. The second one is a big word, but it breaks down really easy. Antinomianism. Antinomianism, that's like a Greek word that's been turned into English. Antinomianism is abandoning all moral expectations because of God's grace. Abandoning all moral expectations because of God's grace. So, legalism tries to earn God's grace by our works. Antinomianism says, God's gracious, so who cares what I do? Who cares about my works? The, the, the word anti, you recognize, is to be against something or, or negating something. The word, the word N-O-M, nam namas, is the word law in the Greek. It's anti-law. Anti-moral code. Anti-right or wrong. Just just God is gracious, so it's all good. These are two errant responses that are so prevalent in our hearts that miss the mark of grace-motivated obedience i want to throw a chart up on the screen that's going to show it's going to kind of compare the two of these legalism and antinomianism legalism ignores grace Legalism says says I'm just I, I got to be holy. I got to work harder. I got to try harder. I got to do more. Legalism relies on the flesh. Antinomianism abuses grace. It doesn't ignore it. It's it's fully aware of it, and then it takes that grace and says, because God is gracious, it doesn't matter what I do. I can live however I want. I don't need to abide by any law. I can abandon moral expectations because God is gracious, and it's all good. So while legalism ignores grace, antinomianism abuses grace. While legalism says, be more holy, antinomianism says, you're free. Now here's where things get dangerous. Both of those statements are biblical terms. Be holy. The Bible says that. You're free. The Bible says that. And this is how doctrinal errancy so often happens. There are biblical statements... That are taken out of their context and they're redefined and they're not understood how God intended them to be understood. Legalism says, work harder, try harder, be gooder. Antinomianism says just this is like an antinomian term, let go and let God. Just don't worry about it. You just you just do you. And let God sanctify you you just sit back and relax while legalism ignores grace and antinomianism abuses grace grace motivated obedience embraces grace legalism says be holy antinomianism says you are free grace motivated obedience says you're free to be holy you were in bondage and unable to do anything holy, but now by the grace of God, you are free. But you're free not to do whatever you want. You're free to, do whole, to to be holy when before you never could. Legalism says work harder. Antinomianism says let go and let God. Grace-motivated obedience says strive, but strive with his strength. Do you understand that as the middle ground? Between the two extremes that miss the mark of grace motivated obedience? Legalism relies on the flesh. Antinomianism abuses God's grace. Grace motivated obedience obeys God aggressively, but it does so with the full awareness that we could only ever do so by His grace. We're free, we're free to be holy. The text that illustrates this truth so well, I'm going to throw it up on the screen, is Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul, in this chapter, threads the needle on these conflicting truths when he says this. Speaking of the Philippians, just as you have always obeyed, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see what Paul just did there? Paul says in that first line, Philippians, work out your salvation. Faith works. Work it out. And, and, and you can imagine all the legalists going, Yeah! Yeah! Work it out. You work harder. Try more, better. Do harder things, whatever. Just do it. Work harder. But then Paul takes that call and what's there to try hard, work hard to work out their salvation and, and, and he qualifies it. For it's God who's at work in you. It's God who's at work in you. You can only work hard because God is working in you. So God working in you doesn't mean that you don't work. God working in you doesn't mean like, well, God's working. I should just sit back and relax. He'll do what he's going to do. I'm just going to let him do it. Stay out of his way. No, Paul says, work out your salvation. Work hard with fear and trembling, but do so knowing that God is working in you and he alone can allow you to be obedient. He alone can enable you to be obedient. So work. Work hard as He works in you. Our works rely on Him. There is a marriage between grace and obedience, and that is grace motivated obedience. Grace infused obedience, grace-enabled obedience. Grace and obedience are always hand in glove. But I want us to be aware of something. I hope as we're walking through this that you're seeing some of these tendencies in your heart because they're in all of us. And it's easy to think, aha, I see it. I've been thinking about this incorrectly. What I want us to be aware of is that our thinking about this incorrectly reveals something about our heart. Our tendency to ignore legalism and abuse antinomianism, grace, reveals that our hearts are bent against the ways of God. Our tendency to miss grace-motivated obedience isn't just bad thinking. It reveals that our very hearts are like anti-grace, that we are opposed to the ways of God. When we think this way, it reveals an error, a gap in our hearts. So we're talking about something very theological tonight, but I don't want us to think, oh, okay, I'll just change my mind. Now, do that. Change your mind about these things, but do so knowing that this reveals something about our heart. This is not just stop thinking that way. There's repentance that needs to take place. And so I want to call us finally to three steps in uncrossing the wires of sanctification. Three steps in uncrossing the wires of sanctification. We're going to wrap up with this. Number one. Number one, repent of your resistance to God's grace. Repent of your resistance to God's grace. This may be a theological error in our thinking, but it reveals a heart flaw that we resist God's grace. When we ignore it, we resist it. When we abuse it, we resist it. And so we need to repent of our resistance to God's grace. Uh, A second application in uncrossing these wires is, is regularly ask God to strengthen you to obey Ask him, go to him daily and say, God, I cannot obey outside of your grace. I need your grace. So give me the strength I need. Give me the motivation I need. That's what grace-motivated obedience looks like. Asking God for the strength that you need. But ultimately, one of the clearest pictures of what grace-motivated obedience is, is where we're going to go next week. And that's this third point. This is where we'll be next week. To walk by the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul is dealing with these tensions. And so we're going to jump into Galatians chapter 5 next week and see what Paul calls grace motivated obedience. And that's walking, working, living, but doing so in the Spirit. And we're going to see those two come together as as a a, a third way of, of uncrossing the wires of sanctification. It's easy to happen. It's easy in our ignorance to get things a little bit confused, to miss grace-motivated obedience. So scripture's clear. We need to correct our thinking. We need to confess the direction of our hearts. Evaluate your own thinking, your own theology, your own understanding of sanctification, and expose where you have some wires that are crossed. And then fix it.